You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Damon Frank here, joined by my co-host, Christina Dennis. How you doing, Christina? Hello. Happy Monday. I'm doing great, Damon Frank. How are you? I am doing fabulous. Thank you so Beautiful. much for asking. Episode 105 today, Monday, yep. May 2nd, 2022. Glad mm-hmm. to be joining everybody on this bright and shiny Monday morning. A little bit late, a little bit late, and we apologize for that. Typically, we try to get out at 8, but I had a family commitment that I could not get out of. So that is life. That's the recovered life, right? That is. We have to adjust. Yes, yes. Those promises come true. And we have commitments once we're in recovery. So I think it's great. I can't believe we're already in May. I mean, here we go. In Southern California, we call it Gray May, though. So hopefully everybody is enjoying the beginning of May. It is. I can't, you know, we keep saying this like, oh, I can't believe we're on episode 20 or whatever. Yeah. I can't believe I'm on episode 105. That That's absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, and I think that, you know, what many people that listen to the podcast might not understand is now they do, hopefully, because they're listening to the Recovered Life discussions that we're having yes. on top of all of this that we have got a whole other group of content that we produce called Recovered Life Discussions, which is now going on the podcast stream. And it's also on the Recovered Life community. And that's been so amazing. We had one this morning that we did. And isn't it isn't it crazy how great those discussions are? They're amazing. The I love li- this. Live streaming joys. There so, you but go. The Recovered Life Discussions are amazing. They're just absolutely amazing. Today's uh, discussion just really set me up for the week and also just reminded me that as different as any of our experiences are and as different as we might look, we all share that same kind of journey. It was just so good honesty, really reminded me of why I'm in recovery. Absolutely. We're we're, we're going to have a we're going to talk about that journey today. We've got an exciting guest on, yes. uh, Peggy Cooney, who we'll go to in just a second, and then we're going to dive into a little bit of mental health news that was right. a little shocking to me with a WHO article in the second segment. Uh, so good show today, guys. If you're listening to this uh, live, thank you. If you're listening to this on a replay in the Recovered Life Network or through the podcast, you picked a great show to tune into, and we cannot wait to dive into this. Before we do, though, I need to let everybody know that this episode is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and viewers like you. Please continue to like, share, follow, Leave us a comment so we can keep bringing the information that you want to know about. Also, visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join that network and leave a donation that allows us to continue to help others. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. You know, anyone who just buys us a quick little cup of coffee uh, on info.recoveredlife.us, it helps us out a lot. But, you know, just like you mentioned, like sharing and following the show, that helps us out as well, because really what this is about is helping people live their best recovered life. And we do that by being of service. So turning other people on to these really deep recovery discussions, it does a lot. So that like following and sharing really works out well for everyone. So thank you very much. Christina Dennis, we have got an amazing guest. 
yes. uh, that I know that you have a relationship with. It is Peggy Cooney. I'd like to invite her in here to the stage. Uh, how you doing, Peggy? Oh, Welcome to the Recovered Life Show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We well, are excited we, to have you. Absolutely, we are. I, I just <laughs> spoke over Christina because I was really excited to have you on. You know, just a little setup here for everybody who is tuning in. Uh, Peggy Cooney is the author and founder of This Side of Alcohol. And, you know, I was so excited to have you on to discuss your recovery journey and your struggle with alcohol, and then your victory into recovery, and the whole process of you writing this book. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to finally meet you. <laughs> it's been a little while. We've been trying to make this happen for a few weeks. So, so happy to have you. And as Damon said, I do have a relationship with Peggy. She is an amazing woman and leader in sobriety. You know, getting sober wasn't easy for you. It's not easy for many of us. Could you share how you were able to get sober? Yeah, um, I, I grew up in a very um, alcohol-centric home. And so I kind of vowed from, from being a teenager that I was not going to get into that at all. Um, and I really managed to kind of uh, uh, evade the bullet until I was in my 50s. And I think that that is kind of a trend for um, 50 something women to have not really struggled with alcohol their whole entire life. And, you know, the advantage that is I was able to raise three kids around an environment that that wasn't alcohol centric. Um, so all my kids were out of the house. Um, I'm in a blended family. So we have five kids between the the two of us. And they were all out of the house, some with grandkids. So I, um, I really, it, when it hit me, I was, I'm a social worker. I, I was in direct practice for about 16 years. And the last 16 years of my um, career, or the last 10 years of my career, um, the secondary trauma from being in child welfare and adult protective services started to get into my, into my soul. And on top of that, the system really sucks right now. So if, a, you know, uh, Maya Angelou says we do something until we learn better and then we do better. Um, but for me, what really got to me is that children would disclose abuse and they were the ones that had to go live with strangers. So after all that, and then I became a whistleblower, um, a willing whistleblower, but ostracized. And then <laughs> so had kind of a triple crown of vicarious trauma leaning on me and um i just found myself you know going home and numbing out with um you know two glasses of wine three glasses of wine and maybe a bottle of wine and then um i did that for two years and i was able to retire and then uc davis picked me up as a social work instructor for social work and um i I had everything, right? I, I had no vicarious trauma. I was able to teach new workers. And yet I found myself doing the same thing and really found myself, you know, in trouble with alcohol because I had everything I wanted and I was still drinking. So that's when I knew I was in trouble. But I that was in 2018. Um, I didn't get, yeah, that, I think that's when the light went on for me. I got selected out of 1,750 instructors for uh, uh, 
an outstanding service award and everything should have been perfect for me then and it and and I found out I was in real trouble because I bargained every day to stop drinking and I would teach a class and then I would drive home stop at Nugget and get a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. So yeah. it still took me another year to um you know and I had a huge a huge issue that I write about in my book where we had a family picnic and um, I didn't drink during the picnic because I didn't want to, uh, you know, I was determined not to embarrass anyone in my family. And I came home eight hours in the sun, drank a couple shots because that's the kind of uh, drinking I was starting to do at the end. And, um, and my husband just went ballistic. So we had this event where he left me and was before that he was screaming at me in front of um, my, my adult uh, daughter and son and grandchildren. And um, I was mortified. I mean, he left with no intention of coming back. That's a, a different story. He did come back. But that, that next morning, my daughter said to me, Mom, if you want the kind of relationship you want with me, Jason and the kids, um, you've got to do something about your drinking. And I don't think I could have hated myself any more than that. I was, I was the lowest of the low and we all describe those lows or maybe some people, you know, stop before the low. I don't, you know, I've seen that too. <clears throat> and I just, I went into the bedroom and I got down on my knees and I heard this voice that said, Peggy, you're done, but you're going to be okay. And I, I'm so grateful for that because I really haven't had a, had a big desire to pick up after that. You know, I, I um, looked on my Facebook to sign up for something. I wanted to show my family I was serious. And Sober Sis came across with uh, Jen Couch out of uh, Fort Worth, Texas. She had a 21-day reset. And really, the rest is history. Um, you know, I did that. I, I you know, through, through uh, Jen, I met uh, Stacy. Um, and that's how I met you uh, with uh, her uh brain boost and uh, gratitude boost, I think, and took, you know, I read every book on the planet and quit lit. I listened to almost every podcast. I journaled every day. I surrendered every day. And I just started, I mean, I just totally immersed myself in, in, um, in sobriety. You know, I, Peggy, yeah, real quick question, like you had mentioned that, um, you know, I think a lot of people think, and I'm sure there's people that are listening to the show that are mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I can't be an alcoholic because I'm a high performing person. I have kids, I have a job, I have a career, I have awards. Like you mentioned, you were getting awards. In many ways, you're at the top of your game, right? Mm -hmm. um, but alcoholism is just as prevalent in high performing mm -hmm. people. And I'd love for you to discuss that because I think that's a tricky thing is that people, I know when I came in very young and I didn't have anything close to the success that you've achieved, but I remember saying, well, I can't be an alcoholic. I, I, I made it through college. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't be an alcoholic because I'm not homeless. Yeah, I do. I think, I think um, when we look at when we look at alcohol addiction, we really think about the fact that it's you're either a drinker or you're not a drinker, right? Right. That, um, and we we have those two categories: either you're a drinker or you're not a drinker. And there isn't that in between stage, that gray area drinking. Um, and so, 
you find everything. And I, of course, we all did it, but look on the internet and see, you know, take those tests to see if I'm an alcoholic, you know, and more than likely I had a glass of Sauvignon Blanc in my hand when I was doing it. So you can always find something that will justify I'm not as bad as that person. Right. Right. And, um, and so I, my colleagues didn't know I had a problem. My immediate family for sure knew I had a problem. My, you know, my, my kids and my husband for sure. But I, I pulled it off with, you know, I didn't drink during the day. I had it all worked out. You know, high achievers do that. Right. So I, right. I would come home, study for my class for the next day and reward myself with alcohol. Or if I, you know, I had it all prepared on how I could drink to get away with it. It was, I was a genius. You were, and you are. I want to say something about your book because this was gifted to me and it is amazing how raw and unedited you were. And I just would love to, to, I mean, I want people to get this book to read it because the honesty and the courage that you have in it is inspirational. And I'm just curious, like, when did you know you were going to, you were going to publish a book? Mm. You know, like what, what happened there? Because you brought up Quitlet and you're actually my first introduction to Quitlet, mm. not realizing that, that this was out there. And since then I've just been amazed. So how did you determine, like, I'm going to go ahead and share it all because you do share so much. Thank you. Um, about day 100, I started posting <clears throat> on, on Sober Sis's Facebook page and uh, <coughs> I was at the retreat, her one and only retreat she had because of COVID. And that's where I met Alice. But we, um, I just kept posting every single, I posted every single day for 365 days. And really it was my followers that said, oh my God, you need to put this in a book. You need to put this in a book. Um, I've always been... <laughs> You know, I have that personality, right? Like, you know, Peggy, put your hand down. My husband would go, mm. you know, we'd go to a restaurant and he'd say, can you just not talk to people when you go in there? Can you just, you know, and really, if I sit on an airplane, usually the person next to me is going to tell me their whole life history. I'm a social worker at heart and I must send out that, you know, those hormones or something. But um, so that's really how it happened, because I, I, I journaled every single day from the day I got sober. I still am at. 10, I think I'm, I'm over a thousand days right now. And I still journal every, every single day and do a lot of other writing as well. But that's really how it happened is it's really kind of uh, modeled after Claire Pooley, who, um, who wrote the sober diaries. So I was fascinated with how I could watch her sobriety from day one, all the way through. And really it was just the encouragement from other people. Um, yeah. Peggy, how how has your how has your life changed now that you've written the book and that you're sober, <laughs> and you have sober time? Like, how, how what's the difference in your life now? How how has your life changed? It's like I have a third more to my life, right? Because I what you know, my life before was getting up, uh, going to work, uh, coming home and drinking, and passing out in front of the TV. I mean, you know, the the things that came along with teaching. Um, I think I, I really found out who I am as a person. Um, and, and I think the other thing that's so wonderful is that my outsides matches my inside. I used to think it was such a cool characteristic to have that I could get along with drug dealers and Kings. 
I was, you know, I could get along with anyone. You just give me anybody and I'll get along with them. And I thought that that was really a, a quality people aspired to. But really, I lost myself in all of that, right? And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I feel like this recovery is my calling. Like, uh, the same way I heard that voice that said, Peggy, you're done, and you're going to be okay, is the same thing I hear, like, when I'm, like, overwhelmed, because obviously when we get into this this line of work, it can become overwhelming and right. heavy and very heavy. But I, I also know that I was meant to do it. And I have a university that is so into me living my sobriety out loud. And that is so unusual that, you know, I'm actually presenting my book at a, a, a partnership for well-being conference in June in Anaheim. And so maybe I can prevent some of the social workers from going down the same path I did because they have nowhere to put that vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you. Um, I know you got sober. You wrote a book. You basically started a movement um, when we'll definitely put some of the contacts so people can follow you. What's next for you? Um, I am going to, um, I'm actually piloting something called a sobriety mapping tool and it comes out of social work. So I've already uh, uh, kind of explained well, piloted on uh, on some newly sober people out of sober sis, and uh, it, and uh, just it's really fascinating. So that's my next thing. I think it'll end up being sort of in a workbook form. Uh, again, I'm not into um, I'm not into huge programs. I'm really into reaching as many people as I can for the least amount of money. It's the social work I have in me. I'm not not this saint or anything. I just I feel like. I feel like, you know, if I can put it in a workbook form, then it's eight bucks at the least, 20 bucks at the most. And then I it can get to as many people as possible because I really like to figure out a way um, to make sure that all of our parents and child welfare that don't have the opportunity I have that you have um, to get sober. Um, there's nothing wrong with AA, but that seems to be their only option. And I don't think that's right either, especially for rural, rural towns where everybody that uses um, substances are in the same room with each other. So I'm hoping that I can, um, you know, create some sort of foundation where we can get, um, we can open up some of these programs like, you know, the Luckiest Club, Recovered Life, all these things that, that people don't have automatic access to. Um, anyway, that's kind of what I'm doing. But the the preliminary um, pilot for this sobriety mapping tool, and what it is, is really, it's like what's working in your drinking? You know, what brought you into your drinking? What are the big things that can happen to you if, if nothing, if you do nothing about your drinking, what are the big things that can happen? And what are all the complicating factors that are screwing up your life that mm -hmm. maybe don't rise to the level of danger? But they're there, like sleeping, you know, relationship problems, that kind of stuff. And then really working about what's, you know, what's working as you go through your program. Like now, maybe at 30 days, I can sleep so I can take the sleep out of the complicating column and put it in the strength column. And then and then also brainstorming around a plan and a, a support circles. Who can be in your support circle? Who do you need mm -hmm. to move in? And then who are some of the people you might need to move out, right? We don't talk right. about that very often. 
recheck my, on a remap at 30 days, 90 days, one year, whatever you want to do as a person. So that's what's next for me. That's great. You know, we, we do that. We just had a recovered life discussion earlier today, all about, you know, we do a whole thing about setting up your sober game plan for the week, knowing kind of what you want to work on. And sometimes, you know, like you said, you get these things in your life that you realize, wow, I've got to work on this in my recovery, but it's not the right season or the right, not, not the right time. You just kick it down the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that causes problems. So having a tool like that, I could see being incredibly helpful. Peggy Cooney, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'd like to let people know about how they can get a copy of this side of, of alcohol. And also tell us a little bit about this event that you've got coming up in Sacramento, California. Sure. Um, you can get a signed copy uh, for my book on thissideofalcohol.com. It's also available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And then um, it's Sober in the City. <laughs> so, I love that. Um, Oh, a friend of mine, another sober sis, who um, who uh, is put on. She put on a uh, an event in Long Beach in uh, January, and it is a farm to fork, really elegant. Um, we have a bartender. His name is. Oh, I'm so mad. I don't have his name. He's a famous uh, bartender from San Francisco. He has a, a restaurant on the ocean. He's going to come and do our bartending. We have Sober Illustrator, you know, that's going to be doing um, uh, her. We're going to feature her art there. I'll be the keynote speaker. And it's amazing. We have people flying in from all over. And um, I'll send you the link for that. Yeah, please. Well, definitely, guys, we will put the links in the show notes. Also, how you can purchase uh, this side of alcohol. I know the book is on Amazon, so you could get it too quickly or go to your website, which we'll put a link there. Uh, Peggy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us. I know it helped a lot of people. You're a really interesting person, and we'd love to have you back on the show coming up soon. I'm so excited, yes. to see you, Damon. I heard so many great things about you from Christina. So thank you. Oh. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we look forward to speaking with you soon, Peggy. Thanks. Thank you, Peggy. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> wow, that was great, Christina. That was really good. Isn't it amazing? Uh, I it is good. You know, you know what I loved about her story uh, is that you know she wasn't 18 when no. she got the the tap from her higher power to say, "Hey, you know what." It's time. You're going to be okay. And I love that. I mean, you know, because so many people, I think, just have a lot of fear about getting sober. Yes. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have a lot of fear about getting sober? If you've lived your whole life drinking and managing that, getting sober is probably the scariest thing that you could do. It was for me. It absolutely was to take out what I thought was keeping me alive and say, okay, I'm going to live without my numbing agent. Whew, I didn't know how to do it. And that's that's one of the things that will always keep me grateful for the people like Peggy who were willing to share, you know, daily life with me and how I could move forward. Yeah, it was so great. So great. Uh, we're going to put the, all the links so that you can reach Peggy. And if you're in Sacramento, California, you're going to be there. Definitely uh, go to that event. It's going to be really great. So, Christina, we got a whole other segment coming up. We're talking about mental health which seems to be everywhere in the news right now. People yes. are melting down, Christina. People <laughs> are losing it because of right. uh, because of life, COVID, uh, lockdowns, the economy. There's so much going on. So we're going to dive into that 
coming up in the next segment. So hold on real quick, just a little note before we move into the next segment here in our little break is I want to talk about Can't Say No, Christina, because this is such an amazing free program that you can download for free on Recovered Life. It is, look, if you have problems setting boundaries, if this is you, if you think that you might be a codependent, but you don't really want to say those words yet, right? So you don't want to say the word codependent yet because you don't really know what that means. And maybe you're sober and you're starting to get some of these issues that are coming up and you really want to talk about like, you know, Hey, like, could this be me? Could this not? You offered this free three day challenge, hundred percent free, um, videos from you, Christina, that come every day. And it walks you through the first steps of how to set healthy boundaries. And I'm going to tell you, there's a huge little surprise bonus in there that many people have talked with me about that they absolutely love. So you can get this by going to info.recoveredlife.us. Just scroll right down. You see Can't Say No. You can join for free. You can get in there and start getting that three-day challenge immediately. So that's just go to info.recoveredlife.us. Christina, new segment coming up shortly here. All right. Yes, I am. I am very excited. Excellent. So we're going to be back right after this quick break. So hold tight. I guess we're not going to have this quick break. That was a break. And it we're just wasn't back. <laughs> so yes, welcome back to everybody. Stay tuned for our next segment. We've got some really compelling information to share. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody, this episode is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Please like, share, follow, leave us a comment so we can bring really good content to you and visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can leave a donation that allows us to keep doing what we're doing and join the network, which is completely free. That is info.recoveredlife.us. Thank you so much, Christina. And we apologize for that. You know, we were talking about this a lot with about massive change today. Mm -hmm. And this, this dovetails into our situation about you know, look, everywhere we look around, we see things melting down. We go to the gas pump. We can't, I, $70 for me, Christina. I believe $70 it. $70 for my little subcompact SUV. And, you know, people are freaking out about their jobs, about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyone who's has an addiction issue or they have a mental health issue, this whole pandemic thing going on and on and on, it has really caused people to just really lose it right? Yes. You found this WHO article that I wanted to kind of bring up and explain here a little bit. And it was uh, basically the title was pandemic triggers 25% increase in prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide. Jump into this, Christina. What's your thoughts on this? First of all, I think that number is a little low, but it is just based on the first year. And the World Health Organization, this is what they do. They bring, you know, uh, events that need attention to the forefront. They bring data. There's no way to deny it. And the entire world has just lived through or still living through a traumatic event. Trauma is defined by time that you do not feel safe. 
And we may have pushed it away and thought, well, it's over, we're out of it. But our bodies have been going through it, whether we like it or not. And the reason why I wanted to bring this article to the forefront is because one, it brings data, there's no denying it. Two, it reminds me of why we're here on Recovered Life. The entire world is uh, suffering from anxiety and depression. It uh, it goes on to highlight some of the more vulnerable segment uh, of our population, but it's important to know that whether you want to acknowledge it, you have felt through, you are, are in the middle of it and you have lived through it. And I think and that- let's, it let's dive oh, into that though, Christina, real quick. I got to interrupt you because let's dive into that because I know a lot of people are listening to us and I'm going to say, I said this, when you said this originally to me, a couple of weeks ago, it's like, well, you know, we all went through COVID. I was like, you know, look, I was on my couch for half of it. Right. Yes, I had to work <laughs> from home and I typically don't. Like, let's not dramatize this. It's like, sure. come on. It's like, really? Like now having to stay home or being under like somewhat simple house rest is is traumatic, but it really is. Actually, when I thought about it, I was like, I looked at my life before COVID. I look at my life after COVID. And not only is has it been a little traumatic, it, primarily watching the people around me, how their deal has been traumatic, but the quality of my life I've noticed. And when I say quality, my interactions with people mm -hmm. face to face, all that stuff, it has gone down way down. Well, we're living with uncertainty and you brought up the price just for gas, which is a pretty privileged problem to be honest. But what we have learned um, at The Recovered Life and the shows that we brought is comparative suffering, you know, where we try to diminish our own pain by comparing it to somebody else's. Well, they had it much worse. You know, yes, I had to cancel my daughter's wedding, but so-and-so lost their life. That is true, but it does not aid and actually address anxiety and depression. It does not help. And what we know is that compassion, having an awareness that there is a greater consciousness that everyone is suffering will actually bring that empathy that we need to move through it. And I'm with you. I want to, this is my MO. I want to pretend that things weren't that bad. I don't want to think about it. I want to move on without doing the grief work. I want to move on and say, oh, that didn't hurt me because that makes me feel like I'm safer. But our bodies, our nervous systems have gone through this and we did it as collectives and we did it individually. So, we, you know, just for the people who are listening on the podcast, I'm going to put a link to this article. It is from the World Health Organization. It is the WHO. And it talks about something that's interesting in here, Christina, that maybe is, is, is overlooked. And it says young people and women are worst hit by this. Uh, yes. So mental health actually is, mental health issues are increasing primarily with women and children. Yes, yes. I think the most vulnerable of the population, um, you know, I, not everybody's situation is like this, but when our children came home from school, it did tend to land on the, the mother of the household. And also we don't have any idea what being off of school for a year and a half has done to our children. And that's why I wanna highlight it because that will affect everyone, whether you have children or not, resources have been tapped, children have suffered, there has been an entire break in our daily lives. 
And it, it needs to be something that we continue to talk about. We talked about increase of alcoholism and the need to have these kinds of programs available. So the so one of the things that I thought it's like, well, why are people talking about this? Because this is an addiction and recovery thing. You know, we believe that addiction is one of the 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 most prevalent mental health issues because ultimately, yes, it is the substance, but it's also the thinking behind that. And we know that people come in with stacked issues in recovery. So mm -hmm. they might come in, yes, with alcoholism or drug addiction or an eating disorder or sex disorder or gambling, but there's usually something else going on there as well that's right. stacked up on top of this addiction. It is. And the less we talk about it, the more that it can stay. So we do have to share about the nitty gritty of what's going on in our lives and accept that, yeah, we've all just survived something that yeah, is and traumatic. I think that the thing is too, that what we have to figure out is that the kids are going to be affected the most. And when we talk about uh, addiction and recovery and about helping people get sober, helping people realize that they might, that they, the substance might be killing them. Right. And then mm -hmm. moving them into their best recovered life. We're really going to be dealing with a population of people who have dealt a whole generation that is going to be dealing with screen addiction and mm -hmm. alcohol and drugs more heavily than our generation. We certainly didn't have to deal with a worldwide pandemic. You know, that did not happen. There were plenty of things that did happen in my childhood, um, but this didn't happen. I didn't have, I wasn't displaced ever. And I think that if we don't talk about it, it could easily erode what we are trying to build back. You know, our children are vulnerable. Women are vulnerable. We talked about this with the new dedication of funding for you know, women who have children that are suffering and trying to get sober. It really needs to be shared and understood. It does. And I think having this bigger conversation about this is really super important because, you know, I think for so long, people have come into recovery thinking, well, you know what, it's just an alcohol issue. And then later they start to do the work and they mm -hmm. realize that things aren't working out like maybe they should have worked out right with the work that they've put in and they feel that in some ways they're ahead, but they're sliding back in others. That could be a, that could be a sign of a mental health issue. Look, Christine and I are not doctors. No. We're not telling you that that's definitely the case, but we've seen it so many times. So I think having, being able to identify, it's like, wow, I have anxiety. I have depression. I'm doing the things around my recovery, but they're not, uh, they're not being relieved maybe as much as they should be. Well, there, there is more help that's needed and alcoholism or addiction affects the entire family. So even if you are not the person who is addicted, you know, it is affecting your family system. And if we don't feel safe, we can't, we can't. About recovery is, I think that, um, I think that people that come in that will maybe have an anxiety disorder mm -hmm. or they'll have a, any kind of mental health disorder. And we see people in that have, you know, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, uh, a, a range of different like things going on with them. Depression, anxiety is that they feel that there's something wrong, that they've done all the things that they should. Right. right. And this, this so much so because we're isolated, I think, in the house. Look, I don't know about you, both in, both you and I 
or more remote workers in the case yes. that we don't go to an office day to day and we're not interacting with people. And I just, I just heard a huge, massive corporation just told like 5,000, 10,000 employees, Hey, listen, you don't ever have to come back. Right? So there's this shift. And when we're not around people a lot, it's really hard to get a judge of what's healthy and what's not healthy with your thinking. It's because so you're not is. interacting with people. People aren't actually seeing you physically and being able to say like, hey, you know what? You seem very anxious today. Well, I mean, even just the removal of physical touch was, uh, you know, really does have an effect on our mental health. So even if you aren't prone to depression or anxiety, or you're not prone and don't have an official diagnosis, don't underestimate what that did and, and you know, ignore it. It has to, it has to be something that we really take seriously and take care of of each other in that way. So the hyperconnectivity that happens because of technology can lead us into a false belief that we are with people every day. And if we don't have that abs, if we have the absence of physical touch and we don't have somebody to reflect back to us how we're doing, we could start believing the, the darkness. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, this has been a really great segment, Christina. And I think, what do you think that the future holds here? Because, you know, you and I talk about this a lot. Look, the the world is moving to a virtual experience. And yes. I'm not going to say that you and I haven't taken advantage of this. I mean, look, we're yep. reaching people right now virtually. We're not reaching them in person. We're not in an auditorium or in a physical meeting space where we're talking and seeing people you know, face to face, we're taking advantage of this virtual. There's a lot of great things about that. We were just talking with Peggy Cooney about how people can access her events and things that she has going on, whether or not they live in that town. Maybe it's a small town and a 12 step group just isn't going to work for you there just because of the people, right? Right. There's so many benefits. Where, where do you think this leads? Where, where do you think this goes with the whole mental health and recovery with the COVID impact the next couple of years? Well, what I hope happens because of the numbers that are coming out, because the um, the attention of our governing, um, you know, our governors and uh, organizations like this is that it's gonna actually open up a conversation that we really needed to have for many, many years. Um, you know, it's like growing pains, the world is going to have to take mental health more seriously because it will start affecting, you know, our productivity, our ability to live as citizens. And I think that that this is I don't want to say good thing because the pandemic was not a good thing, but that something good can come out of it where we start putting resources and attention to an area that needs to be um, needs to have more solution than it has. Well, I'll tell you one thing that definitely I have seen that. It would help the situation. I think when we're now in this virtual world, right, we're still under the constraints of a lot of time that when we were in, in a non-virtual world, mm -hmm. right? So what I mean by that is, is that the, there isn't necessarily a nine to five work thing. There isn't necessarily right. of like, I physically am going to drive 15 minutes to go to this meeting on Saturday. I'm going to right. stay there X amount of time. And th this was me. Like I'd map out my time. I'm going to put X amount into my recovery and I would make a commitment. I'd show up there and I had people that were expecting me to show up there. I had service commitments. This isn't the same anymore. It's more fluid, right? So I think 
one of the things with mental health that's really I've seen with recovery is, is that people can't manage that time because they're locked into these old systems with this new delivery system. It doesn't match up. So right. you can't work. Look, you can't work 15, 20 hours a day, 15 days in a row without taking a break just because the phone's ringing or the computer is tweeting or whatever it's doing. Yes. It's not sustainable to be plugged in all the time. And I think this is one of the big things that's really, I, I think it's triggered the people, a lot of people with anxiety and depression is because they're never unplugged. Yes, absolutely. That was my case that first year. It was great. I had access to people. I coached people all over the world. I had this ability to do more in a short amount of time because I didn't have those physical boundaries. But I figured out, you know, that that wasn't really working for me. And so we have to continue to start sharing about our own personal boundaries where we do disconnect and we take care of ourselves, you know, and perhaps, you know, we make an effort to meet one or two people a week so that we can continue to live a more balanced life. Yes. And I think our expectations about who we are and the pace in which we have to do this, I know we've had to do this at our home here, is to understand it's like, you know what, hey, we just need the weekend off. Yeah, right. normally we'd be able to go out and do all these events, but you know what? Just the amount of digital and virtual things that we're doing, it's draining us. So we need time you know, yesterday I just sat in my backyard in my garden. Good for right, you. For a period of time. Like taking these times to kind of unplug, turn the phone off. As painful as it is, I, I have to admit I'm addicted to my phone. Me I'm addicted too. to my tablet. I'm always plugged in, right? Being able to put that down for a little bit to say, I'm going to go in the backyard. Or I'm going to go for a walk and I'm not going to bring my phone or I'm going to turn my phone off or I'm going to do something that's going to help design the kind of life that I want. So, so true. That discipline and that daily practice and making it your forefront. This morning, we had a recovered life discussion where we talked about planning your week and we have to give ourselves permission and make it normal that we take breaks. Christina Dennis, such a good segment. Thank you so much for bringing this. Hey, great show today. Couple yeah. of technical problems. We do apologize for that. I guess this will just add into my program that I'm not perfect and that mistakes <laughs> do happen. But the yes. show must go on. Um, episode 105, Monday, May 2nd, 2022. An amazing episode. Thank you so much, Christina Dennis. I'd like to invite everybody uh, before we close here to Recovered Life. If you're not a member of the community, guys, you've got to join. It takes less than a minute to join. You can join totally for free. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. You can sign up and you're in getting exclusive content and access to contributors like Christina Dennis. Christina, episode 105, Monday, May 2nd, 2022, in the can. Thank Beautiful. you. Beautiful. Happy Monday. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.